the police, they have specialized units, don't they? Yeah, the task force. And they know graffiti in and out. They know people. They know where. Well, we keep getting more and more unconventional, but they do keep track of what hand styles, what people's writing looks like, how people paint, where they paint, at what times, where it shows up. So they can match the evidence of the crime to the suspects. Yeah. Right, yeah. Do you want to talk about getting caught? If I can, sure. Well, don't reveal anything you don't want to reveal. That's what I meant, if I can. What was that like? I mean, uh... Well, they came into my house and, uh... They had a binder with pictures of my vandalizing, and they said they knew it was me and they were taking me to court. So that's the route I went. I couldn't fight it. No handcuffs? No. No jail, no handcuffs. But you paid a price. Yeah, around $4,000 and six months of probation. That's a steep price. Yeah. Did that dissuade you from doing more graffiti, Mm -hmm. honestly? Didn't stop me from painting, like chill spots you could call it under bridges under bridges train bridges highway on and off ramps you know i still painted low key down low but i didn't really do any vandalizing ever again you are listening to the genesis collective's creatives podcast We are launching our first episode of our Disruptive Art series, and today we're going to talk about graffiti, and I think this is going to be a little bit shocking to a lot of people who think graffiti is one thing, but it's really something else. That may seem confusing, but hopefully my guest today will help clarify all this, and we will have a clear understanding of this art form. Wouldn't you call it an art form, Lou? Yes, I would. You would. (laughs) Okay. Lou is a graffiti artist. Uh, and he has the police record to prove it. <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. I tell people that all the time. No, you don't. I do. Well, it's true. It's true. You have gotten in trouble with the law for, yeah. for your graffiti. And we'll talk a little bit about that dynamic of graffiti that uh, is a big problem for people. Right. right. No matter what you think of graffiti in terms of the, the design, the color, um, the artistry of it, right, in a general sense, Graffiti, from its inception, going back to Roman days, right, has been on scratched on walls. Even the military with the Kilroy. Yeah, Kilroy is a form of graffiti. Yeah, so it shows up in places where it ought not show up. But that is actually a part of graffiti. That's why it exists. Certainly the revolution of graffiti, which started in the late 60s and early 70s. If you think of uh, all the train cars, the subway cars in major cities. Oh, rolling canvases. Movable gallery. Movable galleries? Yeah. Well, you know, they go one end of the country to the other. So you get on a train, everybody's going to see it. That's really an amazing thing. What other art is mobile like that? Graffiti is uh, it's, it's a phenomenon unto itself in that regard that, yeah, it's everywhere from West Coast to East Coast. And you see the art and... People who watch trains can spot known graffiti that comes from artists. Uh, I'm thinking of the White Ninja out of uh, Los Angeles. Ichabod. Ichabod. I don't know who that is. He does. His, he writes I-C-H, and he usually does a skull, some kind of skeleton. His name's Ichabod. Mm. So we're recording again at the Broken into Beautiful 
Studios here at 2196 Dust Avenue. And Melissa Rines, who was a guest on a recent podcast, she has graciously opened up the space and we are recording. So if you hear a little bit of traffic, that's Dust Avenue out there. And uh, but here we are on location in uh, Ambridge and we're talking about graffiti. And there's some graffiti in this uh, community, isn't there? A little bit. A little bit. That might be a good way to describe graffiti in Beaver County. There's a little bit. If you look around, you can see a thing here or there. Well, let's talk about the difference between the stuff that we see here and there on the back of a sign, street sign, or on a garage door in an alleyway versus the kind of stuff that is, um, I don't know, what you call it, serious graffiti? It's the, the stuff that is really, really intricate and um, purposeful art. In other words, you can tell that the artist had, had worked out the design. You know, rather than just walking down with a spray can down an alleyway and tagging, right, a doorway. Or writing. Well, let's define this thing of graffiti, because I think a lot of people think that murals and other forms of street art, uh, they think that is graffiti art, but it's really not, right? Well, there is a line you can draw somewhere between street art and vandalism, or, if you will, graffiti. But graffiti is the actual writing of names. The- it's tagging. We're all writers, but tagging is like throwing up a hand style versus bombing, throwing up bubble letters versus burning a wall. You know, simple letter structure, but very colorful, almost like the wall is burning versus wild style or stencils like Banksy. That's not graffiti. That is graffiti, but if you did a portrait of a nun or your grandmother, that could be considered street art, but you know, when graffiti artists start branching out, they tend to get into the more artsy side. So they might have a portrait and they might throw in graffiti with it. All right, well, let's bear down on this just a little bit more because I think the distinction needs to be made between the names the letters, the hand-style lettering, which is technically, I would say, graffiti, versus the stuff that you might see a mural that might have... Uh, letters. Is that what you're talking like about? Like graffiti-style lettering, right? Yeah. I've noticed a lot of artists, when they do other stuff besides letters, the composition and the dynamics and the structure, even, of their art has a graffitiistic element to it which, if I may say so, is kind of angular, like geometry, because letters are geometry, you know, rectangles and circles. So it does have elements to it. Yeah, I think we all recognize that graffiti style. That's recognizable, whether it's, you know, the pointed lettering or the bubble lettering, as you, you mentioned. We recognize that as the style. And I guess what I'm trying to really get at is that there is the graffiti stuff that you see, like, on the trains going by, that are people's names, their handles. Is that what you call them? Names, handles, tags. The art on the trains that evoke identity. There are people who choose to use nicknames and Well, people that's what's on the that's what's that's what those are, right? People's names. They're not writing like um love, stop war, peace. That would be more of a Banksy style with a message, you know? With a message. Yeah. 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 And which is, you know, the name of the series is Disruptive Art. So protest art or art with that kind of messaging, sticking it to the man kind of art, if you will, that's stuff people find and they often will say, oh, that's graffiti tagging or that's uh, 
Vandalism. Vandalism, yeah. So when I was preparing another digital project that I have going on about graffiti, uh, I came across some interesting things. You know, the um, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, they say, um, avoid the term graffiti artist unless it refers to someone involved in a legitimate art exhibit. Graffiti vandals is a more apt term for those who spray paint in public places. <laughs> That's from the style book of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Well, you know, even vandals have a code they live by. They do. No writing on houses or garages. No writing on businesses. You basically want to find something besides that to write on. Yeah, but we've seen houses vandalized. Yeah, I've seen it. But, you know, this is illegal, right? Graffiti vandalism is absolutely illegal. It's a summary offense, punishable up to 90 days in jail, third-degree misdemeanor, second-degree misdemeanor, depends how uh, severe it could be and how you know, reoccurring it is, all the way up to being a third-degree felony. Right. Right? So it is uh, unlawful. And I find that some people, because of that, just really hate graffiti. They just hate the idea of it. It's vandalism. It shouldn't be there. It's private property that shouldn't be desecrated. But at the same time, a lot of people will say, man, those people have some talent who can use a spray can to make, you know, those images. Uh, it is pretty phenomenal. So there's like this tension between graffiti as being like, man, that's just a crime. It's destruction of people's property versus that is some serious art that we should recognize. Well, you know, certain cities and other states and stuff, they do have legal walls where artists can come together without question and paint. And you can paint whatever you want, just letters, murals. So legal walls, there are these places where people can come and do, you know, whatever they want to do, but in a space that, obviously, the name says legal. Uh, are there any of those in Beaver County? No, not really. Yeah. So let's, well, let's talk about the differences between Allegheny County and Beaver County. I mean, besides the obvious, you know, Pittsburgh is a major urban center, Allegheny County, that's where a lot of people are. You've got a lot of young people, for example, in the inner cities, and they are doing the graffiti thing. But out here in the suburbs, if you will, just downriver, 30 miles, it's really not the same thing. Even in our most populated cities of Beaver County, we don't have the same kind of graffiti presence as we do in Pittsburgh. It's a little bit more quiet, less vandalism. But that's what happens when you move away from the city. Yeah, there's more people in the city. It's more noise. You could walk around 3 a.m., not look too out of place, you know? So that suggests to me that graffiti is as much a social activity as anything else, right? So there are groups of people, so societies of graffiti artists in these inner cities, and not so much out here right. in the suburbs, well, you would have a crew, I guess, what you're getting at. That's the term. Crew. A crew. Yeah. Okay. It can be considered somewhat of a gang, but that's more of a bad term. You graffiti artists, you have a code. You don't paint over other people's work. Right. Unless you intend to. There are places, certain places you won't graffiti. I'm generalizing, of course. Some people will do whatever they want to do. And you certainly have your own language. There's a lexicon. There's a vocabulary to graffiti. That exists. You want to give me some terms that um, you guys use? Like you mentioned bombing, tagging, crew. What are some other terms? 
Well, I mentioned Burner and Wild Style. Banksy does stencil work. As opposed to what? Doing the graffiti with a spray can, right? Oh, he can still use a spray can, but he has a cutout of what he wants to put up on a wall. And you just spray the cutout and it comes up. That's called a stencil. So I'm looking up uh, right now this uh, glossary of uh, graffiti and there are things like uh, crossing out. That's going over somebody. Or you actually get crossed out, which I have been crossed out. Is that a line in the sand? Is this fighting words? Is that a, a threat? I actually had somebody write my name on the wall. They said, F you, such and such. Like your real name? Yeah. We had to go back and buff that out within a day or two. Buff that out. What's, is that a term? Buffing is what the city does. Uh, usually get gone over in gray or something. There's this one guy, uh, he's called the Buff Monster, and he takes the squares that are left over from the buffing, and he makes faces out of them. That's interesting. So in, in one of my projects here, where I'm documenting graffiti around the area here in Ambridge, along Route 65, there are those buffed out areas where graffiti used to be. Yeah. You look at that and you see these big gray patches. So you're saying like there's a guy who like takes that and he builds upon those things. Right. That's interesting. How creative is that? Now, when you do something end to end, I've heard that phrase before, this graffiti's end to end. What does that mean? That term came from subway cars in New York City, where you would paint from one end of the car to the other. You could write your crew name or a burner with a character next to it or something like that. So let's talk a little bit about you and how you got into graffiti. Why? And some of your work and some of your experiences uh, as a graffiti artist. Why don't you start with, with how you got interested in graffiti? Well, this one friend and I were sitting around with one of our other friends who was already into it. And he showed us this movie, and it's called Bomb the System. And it's a movie about graffiti artists and graffiti. And it just portrayed the whole idea of it, the whole scene, very well through this movie. And then my friend who already knew about it gave me a name. It was Cash. And we went out in this industrial park we know. And I remember writing Cash on a stop sign. And I wasn't very good. And I guess that was one of the things that has kept me going so long is getting better. But we just fell in love with it. I think it was really just the movie and how it portrayed it and just the, the things that went along with it, you know, walking around at night, doing mischievous stuff. I was a teenager. I was like 14, just starting high school. And I started becoming a graffiti artist. Like I said, I wasn't very good. He had to teach me how to write my name at first. So when you developed this moniker, Cash, is that something you worked on, you developed on, it evolved, you said, ah, I want it to look like this. No, I want it to look like that. And did you start putting these variations up around wherever you were doing the graffiti? I don't want to tip off uh, the authorities. <laughs> That's what I was worried about, too. Well, it was a long time ago. But, but you know, my, my question is, uh, was it something you were like, hey, look at this, this is me, right? This is my identity. That is a very good part of it. What I liked most about graffiti, looking back, I enjoyed seeing my name up on buildings and along the highway. You know, I, I had at least four or five friends that were doing it, and they were all better than me. I really struggled. I wasn't very artistic when I first started. I literally struggled so much with it. But getting back to the point, seeing my or my friend's art 
on the walls was just, it was awesome. I loved it. Just fell in love with it. And some of the most notable documentaries about graffiti really point this out. From the earliest days of the American movement in the late 60s and 70s, that was such a big thing in the urban cities with a lot of graffiti artists. They wanted to see themselves there, represented, their names. They wanted to see their tag, their moniker. It was meaningful. That identity, your name reflected back at you on a car, on a subway, on a train, on a building, in your neighborhood, on a wall. Never in your own neighborhood. Oh, really? Cops will, it'll lead them right to you. Oh, is that part of the code? Oh, that's what I learned from getting caught. (laughs) (laughs) They they pretty much told me how it works. (laughs) Dumbass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No kidding. That's funny. Wow, that's okay. So you would go to different places. You would go to other... Oh, here's a term for you. All city. It's called getting up when you like vandalize stuff when you put your name on stuff so we were basically all city we've been to every corner of the city at least painted once in every district that was a goal well that's what all city would be you'd travel around the city we had a friend with a car we would travel around the city and paint at different spots you know bridges train tunnels sides of highways abandoned buildings This is a really cool conversation because this is sort of like the interior of of how the graffiti happens. Explain to me um, how you would come about to do some stuff. Uh, Would you see a space and say to your buddies or yourself, say, yeah, I want to paint on that. So we lived in the city, basically. We would take the buses and just ride around the city and look at graffiti on the bus. Oh. That was a big thing. Oh, so you would, like, go on tour? (laughs) Yeah. It's almost like watching a train go by, except you get to look at all the spots along the highways and stuff. So you would learn. You you guys would educate yourself as to where people are doing graffiti, who's doing it there. Yeah. And and then you could look at what is being done. Right. Get ideas, model, perhaps your own style after other people's style or whatever. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Who would have thought that you guys had a, a method to that? Yep. Okay, so what happens if you're, you know, you say, hey, that's a space that um, I want to go tag. How would you go about that? Well, we'd scout it out first, usually on the bus or in a car, just walking by. Then we could always go out late at night, park somewhere a couple blocks away, get a backpack, walk uh, to your spot, and hopefully you had a lookout there's this one guy, he got caught. Uh, I'm pretty sure he did 10 years and a million dollar fine, but he was painting alone and they caught him on security camera. That's how he got caught. And this is a well-known. He, he was a, he was a one one loner. There's artists who use in their name, like such and such two. I actually use the term three, the third just because I got tired of people always, or me having the same name as somebody else. Nobody else is the third. So this guy, he he was a, a oneer, but he painted alone most of the time. And uh, yeah, he got caught. Well, he must have been either prolific or did some graffiti on some pretty well-known places. He did extreme spots, and he paid the price for it. It was high-profile spots. They knew who he was. 
they knew what it looked like when he painted. Yeah. So the police, uh, they have specialized units, don't they? Yeah, the task force. And they know graffiti in and out. They know people. They know where. Well, we keep getting more and more unconventional, but they do keep track of what hand styles, what people's writing looks like, how people paint, where they paint, at what times, you know, where it shows up. So they can match the evidence of the crime to the suspects, right? Yeah. Let me ask you, do you want to talk about getting caught? If I can, sure. Well, don't reveal anything you don't want to reveal. That's what I meant, if I can. I mean, just what was that like? I mean, well, uh, I don't have too much to say about that. They came into my house. They, They knocked. They came in. My dad was talking to them. They had a binder with pictures of my vandalizing and... They said they knew it was me, and they were taking me to court. So that's the route I went. I couldn't fight it. No handcuffs? No. No jail, no handcuffs. But you paid a price. Yeah, around $4,000 and six months of probation. That's a steep price. Yeah. Now, did that dissuade you from doing more graffiti? Only vandalizing, because what they did have on me was, you know, a sign. I paid a big price for that sign and i'm pretty sure it was just black shoe polish that i painted on it could have washed it off but i paid around four thousand dollars for this sign and the other part was uh on a side of a business i was young so i didn't really know what i was doing but it didn't stop me from painting like chill spots you could call it like uh under bridges under bridges train bridges highway on and off ramps You know, I still painted low-key, down low, but I didn't really do any vandalizing ever again. It wasn't worth it. So there's a real division in the graffiti world between the vandalizing and the artwork that, uh, maybe you could always say that it's vandalism in some way, um, but in those areas that aren't like people's property, per se, not on their business, not on their signs, right? But, you know, it is still... All public property belongs to society, I guess. Yeah, or the government, or the state, or the city. Or the community. Right. So in my digital project about graffiti on the Beaver County History podcast, I actually document some of the reactions to graffiti that shows up at Buttermilk Falls Nature Area, which is a Beaver County park. And it is not pleasant. People are not pleased (laughs) at the people who painted on the, you know, on the rocks and the, the scenic area. Well, that's the problem with art and graffiti. Some people like it, some people don't. You could do something good and people will like it, and there'll still be somebody who say, oh, it's illegal, it's vandalism, still shouldn't be there. At Buttermilk Falls, well, I have some examples. Uh, someone wrote, uh, life is beautiful, so enjoy it. A nice message, but it's graffiti right. painted on the rocks there I could enjoy it a lot better if people didn't have graffiti on nature. And then, of course, someone writes, uh, fuck love on the walls and, you know, red paint. And, yeah, people were not happy. Someone's reaction was, uh, look, I've never been there, but it looks like a nice place to visit. This younger generation has no respect. I'd beat the hell out of my children if they even thought about destroying anything. God, please help these incompetent, ignorant people meaning they're graffiti artists. And someone says, why ruin such a beautiful and historic area? Dumb jerks need to learn that mess up and learn a lesson. You might be a fabulous artist 
don't paint on my property. Uh, there's a time and place for everything. That's what graffiti does is it pushes those boundaries. Serious graffiti, right? Now I'm talking about stuff that is, has a lot of artistic value to it. There's a tension between that beautiful art and where it is, right? Without permission. It's a transgression. And I think this comes back to the point of this series, Disruptive Art, that graffiti is transgressive. It shocks our sense of place. It shocks our sense of propriety. That doesn't go there. That's my property. Or this is our community property. How dare someone put this message on this public space? With that being said, I could cross out parks or parks or recreational spots as a no-no. I think a lot of people would say, yeah, it's a no-no. Mm. So it's like, it's like you've got two different perspectives on this graffiti. From the graffiti artist, this is my art, my activity, my expression, my identity. I'm going to put it out there in the world on this nature park. Yeah. Right? And then you've got the public who are like, I don't give a shit what you think. This belongs to all of us. Right. You're desecrating something that is part of our common wealth our common beautiful area how dare you desecrate this that belongs to all of us you see that tension there no matter how beautiful that art is that doesn't make that tension go away maybe that's why some people do it well that's exactly why people do it people just piss them off about it that's it's exactly i mean if you go back and you look at the history of the graffiti movement in this country that's exactly why people did it in the inner cities they wanted to piss people off they wanted to stick it to people and say this is who i am this is where i am this is in your face recognize me yeah right for good or bad i mean in some cases i guess that was beneficial for some people and for other people they went to jail or they had fines and it caused a lot of destruction this is a really fascinating phenomenon really i think but what i wanted to do with this series is take a look at graffiti and sort of have this discussion about, you know, is this art? Is this vandalism? What are the limits? How does this work? Who does it? How do they do it? I think it's important enough to understand this. And it's also important enough to sort of look at what's going on here in Beaver County, which is really not a whole lot. Like I said, it's a little bit more serious when you get closer to the epicenter, which would be a city. There's more people, you know, it's a busy place. People pay less attention to you. What do you think of this this appropriation of graffiti, whether it's in street art, you know, where it's like, it looks edgy, it looks like it's hardcore graffiti, but it's really not. And what do you think of the stuff that has been, you know, appropriated by businesses and things, you know, to, to make their products or whatever look uh, a little more edgy than they are? You know, uh, Big Shot Bob's, for example, the, the wing place, they use graffiti lettering like hand-styled drawing of a crown, right. right, they use. But it's all reproduced on every one of their franchises. Does that do something to the authenticness, the uh, street-level uh, meaning of graffiti art when it becomes co-opted by businesses and stuff like that, when it's made to be safe? But it's anything but real graffiti. It's not traditional, but it is a depiction of what, it, what graffiti is. It's a depiction. It's something derivative. It's something that is, it's graffiti-esque, but it's not real graffiti, right? Well, graffiti started off as writing on the walls, not advertisement for your business. Well, that's my point. No one broke into Big Shot Bob's 
uh, restaurant and hand-lettered BSB on the wall. Oh, they had that art created, and then they mass-produced that everywhere. So what's the difference between somebody who tags something? Well, one could say that it's losing its value, but another one could say that, look, it's becoming mainstream now. What happens when it becomes mainstream? Does it lose its value? Does it lose its edge? Does it lose its authentic disruptiveness? That is how things evolve, isn't it? You know, started off as hand styles in New York City or in Los Angeles or in Philadelphia. But it's, it's evolved. And it, whether it's vandalism or street art or a mixture of either one, art is like something that's just always evolving. And graffiti is art. Well, I guess the question is evolving into what? You know, if you think of hip hop that came out of the streets, that real expression of black urban life to more mainstream uh, white, you know, but rock and roll was the same way, right? From the, from the fields of the South, you know, into the, the record collection of white kids with Elvis Presley, things got toned down. Things got really sanitized if you will. Uh, is, that, is that just how this goes? Is graffiti going in that same trajectory? Technically, it's already done that. It's gone from writing on the walls to stencil work, which is not even letters, and it's still considered graffiti. Well, Banksy, right? A lot of people think Banksy, who is known throughout the world. Right. We've gone from this street-level expression, and that's where he started. Right. He started doing real real stuff on the streets. Yeah. Right? Now to being a global celebrity. My mind's really blown by the whole thing. And I keep thinking about graffiti in lots of different ways from the perspective of the form of it uh, to the aesthetics uh, to its social and cultural expression. Right. But I'll tell you something that's interesting. By and large, people may recognize it's vandalism, it's wrong, it shouldn't be. But it is amazing, amazing art. Would you agree? Yeah, I think it is art and it is beautiful. I love it, that's for sure. I hope other people will too. To express ourselves, we have to know ourselves. What do you love? And if you get close to what you love, who you are is revealed to you and it expands, you start to see how connected we all are. It's so beautiful. In singing our song, in telling our story, in inviting you to say, hey, listen to me and I'll listen to you, we're starting a dialogue and we come out of our corners and we start to witness each other's common humanity. We start to assert it. And when we do that, really good things happen. You have to express yourself. It's actually super easy. You just have to follow your love. There's no path till you walk it.
You are listening to the Genesis Collective's Creatives Podcast.